Bridge City Church, North Braddock. So good to be back with you guys. Last week, I had the opportunity to uh, be the preacher, if you will, at our White Oak campus. So that was pretty awesome. It was my first time getting an opportunity to worship with them on a Sunday morning. I, I told them, I was like, I feel like this is the final stone in my campus infinity gauntlet. So now I can just snap my fingers and half the world will get saved and it'll be amazing. But nevertheless, had a great time. Pastor Rick just said he had such an amazing time here with you and it's always so great to hear from our lead pastor. I was, I was a little bummed out that I couldn't get to be here, but uh, Pastor Nick, our White Oak campus pastor, he's still kind of on the mend with an issue with his foot. So keep him lifted in prayer, but he's really close to being able to be back in the pulpit and, and shepherding the folks there. But this Sunday, I get to be with you to, to, to kind of wrap up and close out our series on the book of Acts. And so I'm going to invite you right off the bat to open your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 19. And while you're turning there and while you're getting your notebook ready and whatever it is you take notes on, one of the things that we uh, do here at Bridge City Church is we have a process called Next Steps. Next Steps is uh, a gathering that takes place after the worship experience on the first and second Sundays of the month, unless there's something that kind of bumps that off. But nevertheless, Next Steps is a process where people who are new to the church can come and find out more about the church, find out how they're wired by God and their spiritual gifts and how they can use those gifts to make an impact here in the church and in the world around us. And so at the end of Next Steps, there's a step three, and this is a process where people who go through that get the opportunity to become members here at Bridge City Church. And so when someone becomes a member, we like to take time on a Sunday morning just to recognize them and honor them and welcome them to be a part of the family, but also to let you know who they are. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have uh, my good friend here, Pat Frost. Pat, she, she doesn't want to stand up, but I'm going to nudge her. Come on, you, we can clap her up. Come on. There she is. All right. Pat is an amazing woman of God. She's been attending here for just a little under a year. She herself just uh, was water baptized here during our last water baptism ceremony. Um, and Pat actually completed uh, step three a few weeks ago, but I wasn't here. And she was, so we, were, we were lining up our schedules. But Pat is just amazing. She is in the process right now of actually observing multiple different uh, A-teams, the teams that serve, production, worship, connection point, first impressions, which we now call our welcome team, our ushers. We have so many different things, BCC kids, BCC nurse. We have all these amazing things. And so she's kind of shadowing and checking a couple of those out to see which team or teams she's going to be on. But she has been a part of Royanne uh, Gerbach's connection group. I believe this is your second semester at least, right? Second semester with Royanne's connection group that meets here Wednesdays at 6 p.m. And so we're just so excited to have Pat be a part of the. She's going she's gonna to beat me up after service. So if, if you don't see me again, I'm not saying that you should investigate her, but I'm not saying that you shouldn't investigate her, okay? 
but we just want to honor Pat. And, you know, as Connor and, and Thomas said, if this is your first time worshiping with us, man, we just want to welcome you. We're so glad that you are here and would be willing to spend a part of your Sunday morning with us. Please be sure to fill out that connection card so we can get, get a gift to you and get to know you a little bit better. Amen? Amen. Well, um, this morning, I'm just going to dive right in uh, to the book of Acts because we have been trekking through this series for the past nine weeks. How many of you feel like it's been nine weeks that we've been going through? Like, like, like me, I'm like, we've been doing this for nine weeks. This is amazing because the book of Acts is amazing. And we have been looking at how the Holy Spirit, not just the activity of Holy Spirit, but what the Holy Spirit does, how he acts in and through us followers of Jesus and how Holy Spirit wants to use us to expand God's kingdom in the earth. And so we've been seeing how God takes normal, sinful, imperfect people, brings them to himself through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, the Father brings us to himself through Jesus the Son. And when we accept and we receive Jesus as the forgiver of our past and the leader to our future, our Lord and our Savior, the Bible says we're born again, and the agent who makes us born again is God himself, the Holy Spirit, coming to live in each and every one of us. And it's amazing. And so we've seen how the church of Jesus Christ, not the building or the place that we go to on Sunday morning, but the people of God, the ecclesia of God, the called out ones of God, who are the temple of the Holy Spirit, are filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can see God's kingdom come in the earth. And so we've seen that the church was birthed out of the ministering, worshiping power of the Holy Spirit. And you may have heard it during the little video bumper there, but there's been one single verse from the, verse from the book of Acts that we've been mentioning throughout this series, and it's a good one. Acts 17, verse 6, where it says, The people who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Because how many of you know that when sin came into the earth through Adam and Eve back in the garden, God's good creation got turned upside down. And God purposed through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit to take sinful, normal, imperfect people and fill them with his Holy Spirit so that we could turn the upside down world right side up. But for people who don't know Jesus, they don't know the peace and the goodness and the grace of the kingdom of God, they may see the things that we believe or the things that we believe God wants to bring on the earth as turning the world upside down. And so there's, there's a tension, there's a friction that happens as the kingdom goes out through Jesus' people. And so today, we're going to get a snapshot of what I believe the transformation of the world could look like when those of us who are followers of Jesus take the Holy Spirit with us into every avenue and sphere of our lives and apply God's kingdom to this fallen world. How many of you know that God didn't save you just so that you can go to heaven when you die? God didn't save you just so you could attend church once a week or whenever you get there. 
God saved us and fills us with his Holy Spirit so that we can be agents of change in the earth to to transform. I, I like to use the word terraform, right, the earth to make it look like heaven. And God has called us to do that. And I believe today in Acts chapter 19, we're going to see what that looks like. So just a little background on Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 in its entirety takes place in a city called Ephesus. Now there's a number of factors about Ephesus that make Ephesus a really super important place in the ancient world and in the Bible and a really super important part of the New Testament. And so Ephesus, back in the first century, was considered to be one of the epicenters of spiritual practices and black magic and and, and black arts in the occult, right? And the reason was is because there was a temple there, the Temple of Artemis, which is considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world world. Basically what happened was this big gigantic meteor came down and hit and because people uh, uh, they they didn't have a scientific understanding of a lot of things they assumed that that meteor was a symbol of the goddess Artemis who is the goddess of fertility so they built this whole big temple to it and they worshipped Artemis there. And so people would come from all over the place to meet with sorcerers and wizards and people that practice dark arts to get magical spells cast for them or or against other people. Or they would come to learn all of these dark, secret, demonic arts. Because here's one of the things that us and our over-scientificized world need to understand. The spiritual world is real. And there is a good spiritual emphasis, the kingdom of God, but there's also evil and dark ones. And so these, these, these people would come and learn these dark arts. And so if you were to mention Ephesus back in the day, the first thing that would have come to somebody's mind would be black magic, sorcery, the occult. The same way if I was to mention Las Vegas, you'd probably first thing to come to your mind is gambling. You know, if I said New York, the first thing that comes to your mind might be like culture or commerce. If I was to say L.A., you might think of swimming pools and movie stars. If you were to say Ephesus, they would have said demonic spiritual power. Another thing about Ephesus that we see is its its importance in the New Testament. So, the Apostle Paul, who traveled throughout Asia Minor, right, the, from the Middle East to, the, to Asia Minor, as far as Rome and Italy, this was Paul's missionary travels, he spent more time in the city of Ephesus planting and pastoring this church than he spent in any other place, a total of three years. We also see that the Apostle Paul, back in Acts 16, verse 6, Ephesus was probably the place that he was trying to get to before the Holy Spirit stopped him and said, nope, I don't want you to go here. I want you to go to Philippi. But nevertheless, Paul had Ephesus on his radar because he understood the importance of the city of Ephesus. We also know from church history that three prominent New Testament figures were the bishops of Ephesus, right? The lead pastor, if you will. The apostle John pastored at Ephesus. We see that Timothy, 
Paul's right-hand man, whom Paul wrote the books of the Bible, 1 and 2 Timothy 2. Timothy is actually pastoring the church at Ephesus when Paul writes to him. And we also see a lesser-known individual in the Bible, a guy by the name of Onesimus, who when Paul met him was a slave who was on the run from his owner, his master, a man named Philemon. Now Philemon had gotten saved in Paul's ministry. And while Paul was in another place and found himself in jail, which he often did from preaching the gospel, the apostle Paul bumped into or met this guy Onesimus, the runaway slave, and he led Onesimus to Jesus. And when he found out that Onesimus was, was, was uh, the slave or the servant of Philemon, he said, look, bro, when, when you get out, you have to go back to Philemon and serve him, not as a master, but as a brother in the Lord. That's your responsibility. And so the book of Philemon, a very short book in the New Testament, is written to Philemon about receiving Onesimus back as a brother in the Lord. And a lot of church history says that Onesimus himself, later in the first century, became a bishop of Ephesus. So this is a very important place. That's why it's mentioned first in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, of the seven churches that Jesus writes letters to. Ephesus was a big deal. Because God wanted to do something amazing at Ephesus because Ephesus was such a strategic and significant and amazing place. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts, chapter 19, and we're actually going to be seeing how God wants to execute community transformation in and through his believers by the power of his Holy Spirit. Because we are called to make the world around us look like the heaven that's in us. And so we have a job to do. We are called to be community transformers for the power of the gospel. And so I want to give you five steps that I see right out of the, 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 the book of Acts chapter 19 in understanding how Holy Spirit community transformation is to look. And so the first step, the first thing we see, and they're all going to be letter I. So if you're taking notes, it's just going to be five I's and then I is out your way. But the first eye is this. It's a two-part eye. Everyone got two eyes, so I get to start with two eyes. The first step to community transformation is this. Information and impartation. Information and impartation. Because we see the book of Acts chapter 19 in verses 1 through 7, which we... Uh, talked about in part three of this series, so we're not going to read it today, but the Apostle Paul gets to Ephesus and he meets 12 disciples. He meets 12 followers of Jesus who don't even know that the Holy Spirit exists. Now that's kind of a big deal, especially when you consider that the Holy Spirit is God. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God who manifests himself and reveals himself to us in a trinity of three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father is God, the Spirit is God, the Son is God, but the Father is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son, and so on and so forth. But there were people who knew Jesus, who were saved, and they had the Holy Spirit inside of them, but they didn't even know that the Holy Spirit existed. 
And so we've preached this whole series through the book of Acts in an effort and a hope that you who heard it would realize that there is a Holy Spirit who is alive inside of you, who is active inside of you, who wants to fill you and overwhelm you with power to see the kingdom of God come on the earth so that we can bring the kingdom of God to bear in the fallenness of this earth. And so Paul had to inform them of what was up. And we see that Paul imparted to them the Holy Spirit by laying his hands on them and praying for them. And they experienced an experience that the Bible refers to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is an experience that is distinct from and subsequent to salvation. So when you get saved... When you cross the bridge, when you're born again, when Jesus is accepted as the forgiver of your past and the leader to your future, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you. But there is a moment, and I should say moments following, where the Holy Spirit will come upon us in power and fill us and overwhelm us and baptize us in the power of heaven so that we can execute the call that God has on our lives. The call to turn the earth into heaven. And so Paul had to let them know what was up. And so he imparted the Holy Spirit to him. And so the first step that we need to know is this. You need to know of the power that is resident inside of you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. See, the enemy would love to keep us ignorant. There's another I. He would love to keep us ignorant of that power. You know why? Because as long as we never accept the power or know the power is there, we'll never leverage the power and we'll never be a problem for him and he'll always be a problem for us. But let the church wake up and realize how powerful it is in the Holy Spirit. Let the believer, the follower of Christ, realize how powerful and how anointed they are because of God's Holy Spirit inside of them. And devil, watch out. So the first step of community transformation is understanding that the Holy Spirit is alive in each and every one of us. And then we see in verses 8 through 10, again, read this on your own. There's a a chunk of scripture that I do want to read specifically, but you can check this out. Because in verses 8 through 10, we see that the Apostle Paul spends three months preaching at the Jewish synagogue. And if you were here last week, you would have heard about how Paul, every place that he went, he would look for two places, the synagogue and the jail. Because he was going to start at one and probably end up at the other one. And so Paul would go into the Jewish synagogue primarily because the Jews already had an understanding of the word of God and he would preach the gospel to them about how Jesus is the Messiah that they're waiting for. And so for three months, Paul preached the gospel every day in the synagogue until they just got tired of it. Some people got saved, some people got tired of it. And so the apostle Paul, at expense to himself, went and rented out a place called the Lecture Hall of Tyrannus where he spent the next two years preaching every day the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the second I for community transformation is this, investment. Are you committed in your time, treasure, and talent to seeing the areas in your world transformed for the gospel of Jesus Christ? See, this is one of my my greatest concerns with the American church as it, as it is revealed to us right now. The American church is an event-driven, consumer-oriented gathering. 
it's a Sunday to Sunday thing or whenever your connection group is thing or whenever the conference is that you like thing. And part of that is indicative of this, this spirit in our culture that, that, that I like to call a, a, a transience, right? We don't stay at a job very long because we're always looking for a better one, and there's nothing wrong with that. We don't stay in neighborhoods very long because we're always looking for a bigger, better house. We don't stay in marriages and relationships very long sometimes because they're transient. We go from church to church or ministry to ministry. We hop around from this thing to that, always looking for where the grass is always greener, but never taking to heart what Pastor Craig Rochelle says. If the grass is greener on the other side, maybe it's time for you to start watering your own grass. There is a level of investment that is required from the people of God in a specific area for a specific amount of time so that we can see transformation take place. Because a lot of us, if it doesn't happen in the hour and 15 minutes or an hour and a half that we spend on Sunday morning in the building we call church, we leave not aware that we are still the church and still called to bring transformation in the world around us. We have to be willing to make an investment in the world. And so that's why I'm very excited. See, this is, this is my passion. See, because I'm from here. I grew up in North Braddock, and I wasn't a Christian. And I don't remember Christians coming to where I was at and preaching the gospel to me. And this is nothing against the church because I love this church, but this church has been here 40 years this September. I didn't know this church existed. And I just lived literally right down over the hill. And it's not because this church wasn't invested in the area. See, the thing that happens a lot of times with us Christians, because we're consumer-oriented and we're me-driven, is we think the Holy Spirit is for us. Worship is for us. The Word is for us. The comfy seats are for us. The extravaganza is for us. Spoiler alert. It's not and never was about you. See, we have an obligation. We have a call to be invested where we are. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, a lot of times people hear that and they, they say, oh, salt, right? And, and, and in ancient days before refrigeration existed, they would put salt on, on meat products to keep it from rotting and give it a little bit of taste, right? So, so, so we're the salt of the earth because we're supposed to preserve things and add a little flavor. But see, there's a, another understanding of salt that escapes our mind, but the first century Jew who would have been hearing Jesus share that in the Sermon of the Mount would have totally understood because the first century Jews were an agricultural society. So they had animals and they had crops. And one of the things that animals produced besides meat and fur and milk was doo-doo. Anybody that has an animal knows that. So doo-doo was everywhere. And one of the things that, that the early Jews understood was that if I take salt and I throw it on doo-doo, the doo-doo is less stinky and doesn't carry disease in it anymore. It's not septic anymore. 
And so Jews would take the salt that wasn't good for meat or for seasoning and they'd throw it on the doo-doo. And then they found out something else, that salted doo-doo was a better fertilizer. Salted doo-doo made things grow and brought life better. So when Jesus was saying to them, you are the salt of the earth, he's not saying, hey, I want to throw you on the rotting, hulking carcass of this earth to preserve it and season it. He's saying, I'm trying to find doo-doo pals to throw you on so that you can sink in and disappear and change the septic nature of it and get rid of the stink and maybe, just maybe, make it something that's more fruitful. But I don't like doo-doo. Some of you are upset right now that I even said doo-doo in a sermon. I've said it eight times. And see, that's part of the problem sometimes. We get bent out of shape because someone says doo-doo or something worse, but we don't get out of shape, bent out of shape that our neighbors are dying and going to hell. And if Jesus came back right now, we might be the only people within a square mile radius that would go with him. That's a problem. And we are called to make an investment in the places where we are. We are called to make an investment in the church that God places us. That's why we have next steps. That's why we have these things, because it's important. Because if we want to see the, look, look, look. You can't vote change into the world. We should vote, and we should vote well, because we can see the difference. But it is our job and our job alone to see the earth look more like heaven, and we need to get to work. It's time for us to get invested. The third thing that we see, and that's why, again, I, just, I want to invite you to our Vision Sunday next Sunday. Here's your formal invitation. Next Sunday, Vision Sunday, we're going to be looking at the annual report. So one of the things I love about our church is this. You're going to get to come in and you're going to get a report and see where all the money goes. What? Yup. You're going to get to see all the amazing things God did with that investment of time, treasure, and talent to make a difference in the earth. But you're also going to hear vision from our lead pastor about where we're going in the next year. Because we started 2020 with a 2030 vision. See, because everybody started with a 2020 vision, but COVID messed that up, didn't it? See, we have a call to make a difference in the world. And so now as we move to step three of community transformation, we're going to get to the meat of our text. And so Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 12 says this, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. Here's why I believe that God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles, because he had already been performing miracles. Here's the reason why, because it's connected to the first eye. He made an investment. When you're willing to make an investment, God will start doing some unusual stuff in your life. Verse 12, when handkerchiefs, the Greek there, it, it's, it's, it's a sweat cloth, right? Because here's the cool thing about Paul. Paul actually worked so that he didn't have to raise money from people to do the ministry. 
And in 1 Corinthians 9, he defends his right to do that. He's not saying that everyone has to do that. He's saying, I want to make sure that I apply myself and commit myself to the call of God in such a way that I never create a burden for people to come to know Jesus or for the kingdom of God to advance. And so Paul would work as a tent maker and he would sweat. And so people would come and they would take the sweat rags and the aprons that had touched Paul's skin and they would take those things and they would lay them on sick people people and the sick people would get well and they take them to people that were possessed and oppressed by demonic spirits and lay them on them and the demonic spirits would leave and the question that I have for us is this what kind of change happens with the things you touch Paul sweated into these things and I think that that's important Because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, and God wants to see what's inside of us come out of us. Gatorade had an ad campaign way back in the day. Is it in you? What oozes out of us? And these are the the concerns that I have, first and foremost for myself, but as a man that's responsible for shepherding a group of people. Are we people that are committed and invested enough that we sweat into what we're doing, and if we are, what comes out of us when we sweat? Because some of us just don't sweat, and that's why there's no change. And some of us, when we sweat, or when we're under pressure, or when the heat is on, what's inside of us that comes out ain't that good. And so we have to understand the third eye of community impact is the impact that comes from us just touching stuff around us. See, you don't got to go lead a, a, a healing crusade. Some of you just need to go to work and be the best, most joyful employee that you can. Look, look you don't need your shadow to heal people. You just need the fruit of the spirit to ooze out of you. When you're at the laundromat, When you're out walking around, when you're in the grocery store, frustrated, aggravated, let some of the Holy Ghost come out of you and see if it doesn't change the environment. Impact is made when what is inside of us comes out of us. And that's why we can't keep it to ourselves. That's why we have to find a place to sweat. Oh, my God. Thomas didn't get a chance to to, look. Please bring candy, but we want you sweating at the extravaganza. Not just because we need warm bodies, but because we need what's in you to come out in our community. Because why on earth would we spend all this money to do all this stuff not to bring transformation where we are? Why? 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 Sweat equity is a very real thing. And we need to be informed and invested so that we can make an impact in the world around us. The fourth thing for community transformation is this, influence. Influence. Acts 19, verses 13 through 17, I love this. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. And they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, to come out, right? So there were people that saw the power 
of the people of God and wanted the power but didn't want to be connected to the source. And so they would go and try to use the name of Jesus to bring about what they wanted in the earth. And as we're about to see right here, it didn't go real well for some of them because verse 14 says, seven sons of Sceva, try saying that seven times fast, a leading priest, so he's a religious guy, not a follower of Jesus, but a religious dude, they were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? The man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. So you, could you picture it right now? Could you picture you're just going out of your home to get in your car to go to work and you hear a commotion next door and you see seven dudes running out the house butt naked and bleeding because a demon just beat them up. Verse 17, the story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike and a solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Why? Because they understood that the power of God was not to be played with. And this was something that we spoke about a few weeks ago when we talked about Peter's uh, shadow and Ananias and Sapphira. They were playing games with the Holy Ghost. But the thing that I want for us to see here as it pertains to, to community transformation is this, this, this idea of influence that we're supposed to have on the world around us. Because here, here's what happened. Here, here's what happened. I believe. This is my personal feeling. But this is what I believe. Do you know that 100 of the first 110 universities, colleges in America were founded by Christians for the express purpose of equipping Christians to preach the gospel? Did you know that most of the national and international philanthropic works, the Red Cross, where do you think they got the name? Christian organizations. Do you know that literacy programs and orphanages and secondary education for people who couldn't afford to go to school were not founded by government programs who have no attachment to Jesus, but by people because they were attached to Jesus, had to see the kingdom of God come in the earth, and they were going to commit themselves and invest themselves to educating and caring for the least of these. And I believe that part of the problem in our nation today is because the Christians aren't found in those fears anymore we have abdicated our responsibility and authority just as Adam did to the enemy and we've allowed the universities to become liberal indoctrination centers where they're teaching things people things that are contrary to the good news of Jesus Christ or we have people that are good and they want to help the mentally diseased and defect but they don't have any connection to the Holy Spirit you want to know one of the most powerful things that I love about our campus is there's at least several educators who work in public schools that I know are spirit-filled Christians who are carrying their sweat with them into those places and investing in those places so that they can see the kingdom of God expand in those places. And I believe that we can see it more. We have people who are mental health and physical health professionals sitting in this room right now who are carrying Holy Ghost with them where they go so that we can see transformation. Our worship leader, Christy, she, 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 she pours herself in 
to not just studying and understanding mental illness, but for caring for the least of these. She does it to bring the Holy Ghost to bear in their lives. We need to make an influence and stop abdicating the responsibility to people who are not connected to the source of the power that we have. And maybe, just maybe, we can reach them and get them connected. And now many hands make light the work. We can do this, guys. Because it's not a program or a politician or a policy change that's going to bring transformation. It's going to be the Holy Spirit of God in the people of God who sweat into the areas where they're invested in making an impact. And I'm excited because I believe that we have the people even in this room to start a revival. Because that's the last eye that we're going to see. And I'm going to have Christy come up because we're going to kind of close with a time of prayer. That's why we had our giving moment and our vision opportunity at the front end of the message. Because we wanted to have an opportunity for prayer. Because here's the thing. The term revival has become an ingrown hair in the church. Some of you might not have the course African curliness of your facial hair like I do, but I know what an ingrown hair feels like. <laughs> it's not fun. An ingrown hair is a hair that's supposed to go out and be something, but decides to turn back in and becomes an infected, pus-filled bump. And I'm concerned because I, I see the state of the church in America right now, and I'm not throwing shade. I'm just saying, like, someone has to speak the truth because we can't keep convincing ourselves we're making a difference when we're not. We're an infected, pus-filled bump because you know what? We thought revival was about us too. And so we have revival services where we come and we get our wiggles and jiggles on. We get our goosebumps and glory story. Hallelujah, praise God, brother. Holy Ghost was moving. We know the Holy Spirit's activity by the change he makes where he's active. See, and I'm not saying that, that those kind of services are bad. I love them. Trust me. I will get down in the Holy Ghost with anybody. But this is what I believe true revival looks like. Verses 18 through 20. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A better translation of that would be they divulged their magical arts. Because remember, Ephesus was a hotbed for people that made a lot of money by casting secret spells. And so the power of the spell, they believed, was in the secretness of the spell. So you had to pay a great deal of money to learn it or have them say it. But when they became followers of Jesus and they encountered an actual real power that could make real change, they confessed them. They divorced those spells of their power by saying them out loud. And just yesterday, we had victory and freedom for our men and for our women. And I watched men become free because they confessed out loud their sins. But also, they began to start speaking to the spirits of darkness that had haranguing them and harassing them and tearing them down and tearing their families down and begin to start chasing them and speaking to them and exercising their authority as children of God by the Holy Spirit to send darkness to flight. And so we see that people came and they confessed their sinful practices. 
a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. The Greek there is 5,000 drachmas. A drachma was considered a day's wage for a laborer. So if you take a day's wage for a laborer, I'm gonna make the math easy, let's say $15 an hour for an eight hour day, and you multiply that by 50,000, the value of those scrolls was $6 million. That's revival. Revival is when people turn from their wickedness and turn to God. Revival is when people are so inspired by the impact and influence of the kingdom in their region that they turn from their wicked ways and they seek his face and they confess their evil and they destroy their attachments to evil because now they are connected to the one true God, the one true power, and as a result of real revival, verse 20 says, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Church, what is the effect that we're having? I told you I grew up here. I have friends that grew up here and still lived here, and to be quite honest with you, never moved away from here. When I invite them to church, they still don't know where this place is. But I'm believing that what God has called us to through this series through the book of Acts was not just good information about a book of the Bible, but transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so right now, what we're going to do is this. We're going to stand to our feet. I'm going to have our prayer team come to the front. And we're going to give you the opportunity. If you have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, or if you need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, to come forward and do what the Bible says. Look, because here's the thing. I know you saw some guy on TV laying prayer claws on somebody and was like, that ain't biblical. I just read you where they get the idea from. They may not be using it biblical, but it's biblical. The laying on of hands and believing for an impartation of the Holy Spirit is 100% totally biblical, and you would have to have unbiblical teaching to believe that it's not because it's explicit throughout the book of Acts. A laying on of hands and a prayer for somebody who knows Jesus to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And there's another thing that's biblical about the Holy Spirit is that it's not a one-time event. Every time the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit is mentioned, it's mentioned in a Greek tense that means a continual filling, a continual filling. And so that's why some of you, maybe you had an experience with the Holy Spirit. You felt overwhelmed. Maybe you even spoke in tongues, which again is a 100% biblical reality of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I would gladly discuss with any of you what your thoughts are on that because I'm going to give you chapter and verse and explain it to you. Maybe you've never had that experience, but you've heard enough today to say, we can make a bigger impact in this fallen world than just preserving it and seasoning it. We can dive deep into the doo-doo and get rid of the stink and get rid of the septicemia and actually make it something that's fruitful. 
Maybe you heard it today and said, you know what? I've been living below what I'm called to live as from a power level standing and I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit in my life so that what comes out of me can affect change in the world around me. See, because that's, that's what filling means. You know that technically you cannot tell something is full until it spills. You don't know the glass is full until it spills out over. <laughs> Maybe you're here today and you're a pretty full glass or you're a glass half full kind of a person. I don't know. But you've heard something today that makes you believe deep down inside of your heart, that same heart that accepted Jesus back in the day. And that's when you really felt like you could make a difference in the world, not just play church. Maybe that heart has been awakened and you want to come forward and have one of these people. I'm even going to invite if Tyler, one of our elders, and Avery, his wife, would come up to pray. Because I believe that there are people in the room right now that either want a first time filling or a refilling because you believe you believe, you have faith to believe that we can make more of a difference than we're making. Not because of our effort, not because of our sweat, but because of the Holy Spirit oozing outside of us into the world around us. And if that's you, I'm just going to invite you to come forward and the worship team's going to play. I invite you to come forward and, and allow one of these people to pray for you. And something's going to happen. Some of you may speak in tongues for the first time. Some of you may speak in tongues for the first time in a long time. Some of you some of you, some of you may experience just like a, like a rush of energy or, or you feel a weight coming off of you or you'll experience an overwhelming sense of peace or joy because that's fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. You'll feel a kindness and a gentleness and a faithfulness maybe to a specific person or a specific people group that you know deep down inside of you God is calling you to go and be an ambassador to that person or to those people. Maybe you're going to feel a renewed sense of purpose in your heart that whatever you do for a living isn't what you do to live. That what you do for a living is the mission field that God blessed you with and he was kind enough to give you a paycheck out of that mission field. So whoever you are, I invite you to come. I invite you to come forward right now. It's very simple. Just come forward. We will have people praying for you. And we're just going to pray and we're going to believe. We're not going to counsel. We're not going to just, just prophesy, but just come. Just come. And understand this. I will a point here in a few minutes probably come and officially dismiss us but if you if you're fine where you are I'm not gonna clown you if you're fine where you are that's okay and by that I mean sitting where you're at or you're fine with the level of effectiveness you have for Jesus if you're fine where you're at cool and if you have to go on about the rest of your day there is no shame there is no feelings of guilt that you have to somehow stay or it will be you will be embarrassed to leave look I get it but if you want to stay and see what God might do in you so that he can do something through you then I invite you to stick around but if you have to go please feel free to do it and on your way out grab some Oakmont bakery donuts they're in our cafe there's a bunch of them get them before the kids get them and if you have kids, here's what I'm going to do. This might be a little bit weird, but if you have to go get your kids, go get your kids. Bring them in here with you. 
Let them see how the Holy Spirit activates in people's lives. Let the kids' workers come in here and get a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit if they want. But if you have kids, go ahead and get them. No shame in our game. We're just going to see what God's going to do. You know why? Because I believe that God has called us to more than coming to a place on Sunday morning. I believe that God has called us to change the earth. So if you'd like to worship where you are or come and get receive prayer, do that. The worship team's going to